0: evening everybody and welcome to the bible thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it uh thank you joining thank you for joining me this evening we're going to go over mark chapter five so if you've been with us for our little series on the book of mark we're going to get a chapter in tonight for those of you watching please be sure to comment let me know who you are and where you're listening from and if you're watching the video don't forget to get on Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Audible, TuneIn Radio, some of those podcast platforms, and follow us there. You can catch our previous uh, sessions on the Book of Mark. Also, uh, we just got these printed up. So we got some business cards. And uh, on one side, they tell you, are you 100% sure you would go to heaven if you died today? And there's a little QR code on there. Uh, that takes you to a video of me on YouTube giving the gospel. And then on the other side of the card are some QR codes that bring you to the Bible Thumper podcast on some popular podcast platforms. So we got lots of these cards. If anyone wants me to send you some so that you can pass them out to give someone the gospel or try to help spread this podcast, all you got to do is get in touch with me at Podcast at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to put some of those in the mail, send them off to you, and you can help spread uh, the word about this podcast. Podcast and the gospel. Also, if you want to try to support us, you can get on Patreon and you can find us at Bible Thumper Podcast and you can support us financially for all the costs that are incurred uh, for doing a podcast. With that being said, let's jump into the book of Mark and we'll read through a chapter. If you got yourself a King James Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5 and follow along as I read a couple of verses. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadareans. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. So, to start off, uh, we are going over to the country of the Gadarenes. So this is Gentile country and then when Jesus gets out of the ship they find a guy that's living out in the wilderness amongst the tombs and this guy has an unclean spirit now let's just take a trip over to 1st Peter and talk about this go to 1st Peter turn to chapter 5 and let's stop on verse 8 let's see if I can get there without Going past and flipping into the book of Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, something we need to notice about the devil. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Lions are patient. Lions will stalk their prey. Until there is a moment of weakness. If you've ever watched the, I was going to say Disney Channel, I don't know why, but if you've ever watched the Nature Channel, I haven't seen it in a long time, but when I was a kid, there were a couple channels that were just nature channels and you could watch shows on animals all the time. And any of us that have watched that even a little bit have seen a show on lions, a couple things about lions other than the fact that they will stalk their prey and they will wait for a moment of weakness, who do the lions pick off? Well, we find that the lions usually pick the young. They pick the weak. They pick the elderly. They don't go after the strongest zebra in the pack. They get the ones on the fringe. Now, this lesson, this little idea, will preach from a bunch of different angles. If you are a Christian and you are weak, the devil is going to be able to pick you off more easily. If you are on the fringe, the devil is going to be able to get you a little more easily. Where you want to be is in the middle. You want to be a person that you are a member of a church. You go to your church regularly. You have some Christian friends. You read the Bible and you pray regularly. You want to be the person that is that is in the middle of it you got God all around you. It is going to be harder for the devil to get you. Anyone here that lives in the country, you know that the corn on the edge of the field, that is the stuff that gets eaten up by the raccoons. That is the stuff that gets wiped out by the drunk drivers. Uh, The good stuff that usually uh, is in good shape when it's time to harvest is in the middle of the field. That's where you want to be as a Christian. You don't want to be on the outskirts. You don't want to be the Christian that is weaker because we have an adversary. We have an enemy and you have to understand that the devil is real. And as much as God loves you, the devil hates you. And as much as you love your kids, the devil hates them and he wants them dead. He, The devil has a plan to destroy you and your family Just as much as God has a plan for you to prosper, for you to be blessed, for you to do well. But we get to choose. We can choose life and death, blessings and cursings. So, Christian, let me tell you you want to be close to God because you have an enemy. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this. We're going to go to one of my favorite Old Testament stories and give you a good example about. The spiritual battle that we're all in. Verse 3. This guy was dwelling among the tombs and nobody could bind him even with chains or fetters. It talks about how this had been tried and this guy would just break them off. Do you know that superhuman strength is actually a characteristic of demon possession that we see from the Bible all the way up through modern times? I have no idea how it works. All I know is that this story is consistent from other stories I have heard from pastors and preachers around the world who have dealt with such things. Now, this guy lived in the mountains. And in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Friend, if you know anyone that is into cutting themselves, let me just tell you it is related to demon possession. Now, I'm not saying that anyone that cuts themselves is demon possessed. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it is not a good thing, it is not a good act, it is not something that God tells us to do. Self harm is always demonic and from the devil, whether it be demonic possession or demonic oppression. And please understand, if you are saved, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and no, demons and the devil cannot enter you. Demons and the devil cannot possess you. Uh, God doesn't just move out and let the devil have free reign. But Christians can be oppressed. We are going to be oppressed by the forces of darkness because the devil wants our lives destroyed. Now, this man was possessed of unclean spirits. I'm going to use the plural because we're going to see that it is plural here in a second. Moving on to verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I assure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there's some interesting things here to look at. Number one, this gentleman, as soon as Jesus approaches, runs over to him and he worships him. And then after that, he says to Jesus, thou son of the most high God. And understand, this is the demon talking. This is not the man. We know this because The demon says, I assure thee by God that thou torment me not. The man wouldn't say that to Jesus. Jesus didn't go around tormenting anybody. The demon said this. Why did the demon say this to Jesus? Because the demons know their fate. The devil knows his fate. It's written down in the book. It's not a mystery to the devil that he is going to be cast into the lake of fire like it talks about in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. All the demons, all the fallen angels, all of them, they know their final resting place. I can't call it a resting place. Okay, Their final place of torment will be in the lake of fire they understand that there is a time appointed where they're going to be cast in there so they know that they are going to be tormented but these guys are saying jesus please don't do this to us now do you know why hell was created The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. That was the purpose. The purpose of humans was to spend eternity in heaven with God. Now, I understand that's not going to be the case because lots of people refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is God and refuse to accept him as their savior so their sins can be forgiven. But that was the intent. The intent was for us to spend eternity with God. That's what God wants. So this fella, this demon, asks God not to send him uh, or ask him not to be tormented. And then Jesus asks for his name. And in verse 9, we find out that the name of this demon is Legion. And it says, for we are many. So we find out that the pronoun used uh, a couple times in this chapter is we. Okay. Us. It talks about how there are many of these unclean spirits in this, uh, in this fella, uh, the, the number or the, the pronoun is plural. Now, a couple more things in verse 10, we see that they were asking Jesus that Jesus would not send them away out of the country. Now, this may sound strange, What does a demon care if he's sent out of the country? Why can't he just come back? What's the problem with this country or that country? One thing that you find about demons and unclean spirits and evil spirits is that they are territorial. You find them wanting to be around a certain object, country, item, individual. You find that throughout the Bible that they are territorial. Again, this is not a message on demonology, so we're not going to go too too deep into it. I just want to make that point, and I want to bring that up so you can notice that as you read through the Bible. Something else that you should notice here is that this demon, or this demon-possessed man, when did he notice that Jesus was God? When, G- when did he notice that Jesus was the Messiah? It says in verse six, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Now, this is something I want to bring up. And if you're going to if you want to get on here with the story, go to second Kings chapter six. And I'm going to go through, I don't know, maybe a half dozen verses because why not? We're not in a rush. We just want to learn something about the Bible. So I'm going to show you something that I really think is neat. And when we go to 2 Kings chapter 6, we are going to talk about the, uh, the prophet Elisha. Now, I want to make this point. The demon-possessed man knew it was Jesus when Jesus was a long ways off. It's not that he saw Jesus' face and recognized him and said, Oh, I know that fella. He is God. This demon-possessed man wasn't the guy that was following Jesus around the country, listening to him preach. This guy was living in the mountains and in the tombs, harming himself, possessed of this demon. He was in a hopeless state. What happened was that the demons saw that the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, was coming towards them. How did they know that when Jesus was afar off? What you have to understand is that demons... Fallen angels, they are part of the spiritual realm. So they have abilities that the rest of us do not. One of the things they can do is they can recognize where God is from a long ways off. My understanding of it would be that wherever Jesus is, these guys see some light. These guys probably see a beam of light shooting all the way up into the sky, they know exactly where God is at all times because they are in the spiritual realm and they see things that you and I don't see. I can't see who's possessed with demons. I can't see who is a Christian. But you have to understand that spiritual beings that are not human, angels, demons, fallen angels, all of these different things they are able to see in the spiritual realm. You say, Patrick, I've never heard such a thing. How do you know this? Well, the Bible's full of stories where we can see this. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in 2 Kings chapter six. In 2 Kings chapter six, if you start in verse eight, you find out that the king of Syria started to have participate in a war against Israel. And as soon as that happened, Elisha started going to the king of Israel and telling him, hey, just so you know, the Syrians are going to attack here. Hey, just so you know, the Syrians are over there. And then the king of Syria started s- s- telling or talking to all the guys in his court. And he said, look, I need to know right now, which one of you is for the king of Israel? And What he was saying was, there's a mole, somebody here in my court, is working for the king of Israel because the king of Israel knows where we're going to be, when we're going to be there, what's going on. He's winning this war because one of you guys is giving him intel. Well, the fellas that were in his court told him, uh, let's see. In verse 12. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So one of the fellows in the, in the court of the king of Syria told him, look, it's not us. You got to understand there's this guy, he's a prophet, he's in Israel, and he knows everything you say, even when you are in your bedroom, and he tells the king of Israel. So the king of Syria doesn't like that. And the king of Syria tells him, here's what you need to do. Get some horses, get some chariots, get a great host of people and go and find this prophet of God. And we're going to need you to bring them to me so we can kill them because I'm not going to be able to win a war if the king that I'm fighting knows everything that I'm going to do. So then we skip down and let's go to verse 15. <clears throat> Pardon me. So Elisha is in this small town and he has one servant with him and there's no army there. There's, you know, he that's that's not, the, it wasn't a big, strong, walled city. And what happens is the king of Syria sends these horses and chariots and they surround the city. And in verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots and his servant said unto him. So the servant is now talking to Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Verse 16, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. So, Elisha tells his servant, Don't worry about the horses. Don't worry about the chariots. Don't worry about the great host that's surrounding this town that could ride in here at any second and take us and kill us. Don't worry about them. And obviously, the servant of Elisha is looking at him, thinking, What are you talking about? Don't worry about them. And Elisha says, Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha's servant, is thinking, there's nobody with us. It's literally just you and me in this town, and they can come in here at a moment's notice. So then Elijah prays, and he asks God to open up this fella's eyes so that he would be able to see what Elisha sees. Now, how Elisha had this ability, I have no idea, other than he was the man of God. He was a prophet. He was obedient. God used Elisha for lots and lots of amazing miracles that we read about through second Kings. You can read that book of the Bible whenever you like It's It's very fascinating. So we know that Elisha was very close to God and, for, and somehow God allowed Elisha to be able to see into the spiritual realm. So let's read verse 17 again. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There were angels uh, with chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. Elijah had no need to worry. The point for this little excursion into 2 Kings 6 is that Elisha was able to see into the spiritual realm. The demon possessed man, those demons were able to see into the spiritual realm because that's what they were. And they saw Jesus from afar off, and they said, That's God coming. They knew it. There's something about Jesus. All the angels and the demons knew exactly who Jesus was and where he was at all time. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 5, and let's try to get through this chapter. So, verse 11. Now there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And they were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told it in the city, and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So let's take a look at this. The devils gave Jesus a request. They asked if they could be sent into the pigs. Why? I have absolutely no idea. But there is a very large herd of swine there. Later in verse 13, we find out that the number was about 2,000. So this was a lot of pigs. Jesus, for whatever reason, consented and allowed the demons to enter into these animals. Why they needed Jesus's permission, again, I have no idea. But Jesus was the one that was casting them out of the gentleman that was demon-possessed, So I guess they had to go through Jesus at the time. Then what happens is the group that owns the pigs, and we don't know if these were the owners or people that were hired just to take care of them and feed the pigs. They saw what happened. They ran into the town and they told everyone. And obviously everyone came out and they were pretty upset. First of all, uh, the people that owned the pigs were upset because they lost a lot of money that day. And then everyone was shaken up because there was this guy who used to be uh, naked and cutting himself and just screaming and howling at the moon, living out in the mountains in the tombs. And all of a sudden they come out and they see this guy and he was sitting and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. So these people that saw it, uh, they were uh, they were afraid. That's what the Bible says, because they saw the drastic change in this guy. And you got to remember, this guy had been bound with fetters and chains multiple times, and he was always just able to break them off. And I would imagine this guy probably chased off a lot of people from the area. Uh, The people were were assuming, you know, scared of this guy. Uh, They, you know, weren't going near him. And now they saw that this guy was doing well. He was in his right mind. He was sitting there quietly and uh, they were concerned. So they began to pray uh, for Jesus to depart their coast uh, in verse 17. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. So this guy wants to follow Jesus. Verse 19, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Now, one thing that we notice is that the people in this area were scared and they wanted Jesus to leave. After this excursion, Jesus comes back here in Mark 7, and his his first trip was fruitful because the first time he went there, the people were scared and asked him to leave. The second time, he was greeted, he was welcomed, and he was able to heal some people there. So it was... It was a wonderful trip. It just took a little bit for the people to warm up to what Jesus was doing. And obviously, this fellow that was possessed of the devils, he was able to go back into town, explain what had happened, and have a great testimony of who Jesus was and what he did. Uh, Let's see, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship into the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, a couple of things. Number one, this fellow Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, was taking a risk by going to Jesus and falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. This was not something that the Jews would have been okay with. This is definitely something that most of the Jews would have been very concerned about. They they would not have liked this at all. But this guy didn't care because his daughter was about to die. He knew who Jesus was. And you know, something, I I didn't even look up the verse, so I'm not going to be able to give you uh, the verse to look up on your own. But we find when we read through the book of Acts, when Paul is going around and he is uh, preaching and teaching, we find that the Bible says that there were many Jews who believed, but because they feared that they would be kicked out of the synagogue by the Jews, they refused to admit who Jesus was and to follow him. You have to understand, Everywhere Jesus went, we read about these people that believed. There were lots more people that believed that were not willing to step out and say that they did because they didn't want to be ostracized. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be excommunicated from their synagogue or their family. But they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was God. They believed in him. They just weren't willing to follow him yet. So anyway, Jesus is following Jairus back to his house, and he's going through a crowded area <clears throat> where the people thronged him. So the people were real tight, packed in. They were moving through this, this area with without much room. There are lots and lots of people there, and picking it up in verse 25, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, uh, underline that 12 years, we're going to come back to that, that's important. Verse 26, and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So this lady was sick. She had an issue of blood and she spent all her money on doctors and nothing helped. She didn't get any better. Verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Wow, talk about faith, right? Jesus knew what had happened. It, it says that he felt virtue go out of him. And he, he knew that someone was healed and he was trying to f- figure out who it was. Um, the, the disciples are saying, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Because they were packed in like sardines moving through a crowd. So you're rubbing shoulders with lots and lots of people. So to them, they're thinking, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. You know, we're we're surrounded by people. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Who is the specific person that touched me? Because he felt virtue go out of him. And he knew that somebody was healed. Uh, Verse 32, and he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, The daughter is thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So, Jesus calls this girl, this woman, calls this woman daughter, tells her that her faith made her whole and to go in peace, that her plague was over. This woman, now, I believe anytime someone has faith in Jesus, that he is God and able to heal them, I believe that is an explanation of their faith, which is saving faith. They know he's God, and they believe he can heal them. That's why they go to him. So what you need to understand is that this woman, at this point, was born again. And what we're going to see in a second is that the daughter of Jairus is also 12 years old. The woman wasn't 12 years old. The woman had an issue of blood for 12 years and from the time that Jarius's daughter was born, this woman had this disease. And the time that this woman was born a second time, the daughter of Jarius ends up dying and is resurrected. And the two different women, one twelve, one being an older woman who was diseased for twelve years, that number twelve shows up in the chapter, To show us that there's a relationship between these two. The woman who was sick for 12 years was born again. She was born a second time. Well, what does that guarantee is going to happen? What what that means is that one day she will be resurrected. And that's what we see from the little girl that's 12. The little girl that was 12 died and was resurrected by Jesus. So let's get back in the story here. The people come uh, from the house of Jairus and they tell him, uh, your daughter is uh, dead. Uh, Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, uh, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat so the little girl who died was resurrected and this happened uh, at at the same time when this lady who was sick for 12 years finally was cured of her blood issue now If you want to read a little further into it, this issue of blood was a problem. She was unclean, and she had gone to all the doctors, and she was going to die. There was nothing that could be done for her. So she had this, what the Bible calls a plague. If you think about that, what can we relate that to? The application is that is sin, and that's going to cause us to die. But the good news, guess what? Jesus can fix our problem. There's this issue with blood; ours is not any good. But don't worry about it. Jesus has this perfect blood, and if we believe that He is God and He can heal us of this uh, this sentence of death that we're all under because of our flesh that's broken, then we can get this perfect blood applied, and bada bing, we are born a second time we are born again and then what is going to happen but at some point we are going to die but it's not a problem it's nothing we need to be concerned about because what happens to those that are born again if you are born twice you will only die once and once you die there is the resurrection and you will go home to be with the lord whereas those who only die uh, those who are only born once are going to die twice. They're going to deal with the second death, which is being cast into the lake of fire, as it is described in Revelation chapter 20. So that's the relationship between the two stories, both uh, talking about 12 years, and that shows us how they're related. If you think it means something else other than that, that's fine. That's what, you know, I've kind of seen and come up with uh, from reading the story. So that is Mark chapter five. Again, thank you very much for joining us here. Um, Be sure to check us out on a podcast platform. Listen to us, download the podcast and share it around with your friends. And if anyone wants some of these business cards that we got made up that has the gospel on them um, and a QR code with a link, That takes you over to a YouTube video of me giving the gospel. Just send me a message. You can get a hold of me at Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send you a bunch of those, and you can help spread the word about this podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us here at Bible Thumper, where somebody's got to say it.